Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. Just thinking about that song, beautifully done. You got to be different to make a difference. Isn't that right? Young people, if you want to make a difference, you're going to have to be different. You, you can't go the same way everybody else is going. You got to be willing to be different. Uh, personally, as pastor of Madison Baptist Church, I don't want Madison Baptist Church to go the way most of the churches are going. We have to be different to make a difference. And uh, I think about the message I preached on Sunday morning. Uh, that was a hard message. Now, for you who've been here a long time, that's not uncommon. You've heard a lot of hard messages. We had a lot of visitors here Sunday morning. I didn't know we'd have a lot of visitors here, but I didn't change the message because if they're going to come back, they might as well know where we stand now, you know, so that if this isn't a place for them, they can look for someplace else, okay? But uh, standing on thus saith the Lord, I'm not going to spend my time explaining it away. We're just going to believe it, preach it, and obey it. Amen. Got to be different to make a difference for sure. Here we are in 2 Kings chapter 20. I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. This is the last of the 10 message series on King Hezekiah. Scripture says, at that time, Baradak Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment, and all the house of his armor, and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion, that Hezekiah showed them not. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto king Hezekiah, and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country, even from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All the things that are in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, Is it not good? If peace and truth be in my days and the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made a pool and a conduit and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Hezekiah slept with his fathers and Manasseh his son reigned in his stead. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus and how we thank you, dear God, for your precious word. Lord, you told the truth about those who served you well and those who didn't. And you even showed us, Father, the parts and the lives of those who loved you and served you, but when they messed up. 
Lord, I thank you for showing us this part in Hezekiah's life. There are some tremendous lessons for us today, regardless of what victories you've allowed us to be able to experience. So have your way in our lives tonight, we pray. Do a work in our hearts, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. As we've come to the end of this series, the last recorded incident before his death that is given to us is during this time after God had said that he would have 15 years added to his reign. You remember when he had reigned at 14 years is when Sennacherib came down. And after an angel destroyed 185,000 of the warriors of the Assyrians, then God had sent Isaiah to Hezekiah to tell him to put his house in order because he was going to die. Hezekiah went to prayer. And he got his prayer answered for before Isaiah could even get out of the palace, God had him turn around and go back and tell Hezekiah that God heard his prayer and that God would give him 15 more years. Now, Hezekiah is an amazing man. He had a father that was ungodly. He had a father that the scripture says he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. We also know that there were many false worshiping altars all around the city of Jerusalem that God had condemned and Hezekiah would have to destroy. For some reason, Hezekiah, even though he's brought up in a man's house who did not obey God's word, as a matter of fact, who seemed to be more lenient toward the ungodly and the pagan and the heathen than he was toward the things of God. But Hezekiah, as soon as he becomes king, he begins a revival. He has the priest clean up the house of God. That takes a few weeks to get that accomplished. Not only did they have to clean up the house of God, but they had to get their lives in order as well. And the priest did what Hezekiah said. And you remember then in the second month, even though Passover was normally, normally done during the first month, during the second month they went ahead and instituted the Passover again. It had not been celebrated for years. And it was such a spiritual time for them that they stayed an extra week. And in that extra week, by the time they left, the people were so excited about God and the things of God, what God was doing, that when they left, as they went back to their homes, they cleaned up the countryside, they destroyed idols, they destroyed the high places, even those that had come down from the northern kingdom. His spiritual campaign was the first campaign that needed to be waged, and Hezekiah waged it so that they ended up with a 14-year revival. But in that 14 years, after the 14 years, well, in the 14th year, we find that Sennacherib came down. He had already taken the northern kingdom off into captivity. And now he was threatening to do that to Hezekiah. So we went from the spiritual uh, the spiritual conquest that he had, and now his warfare would be a physical warfare against Sennacherib. God intervened in a mighty way. First, you'll remember, he sent a rumor to send Sennacherib home. That's all it took to get Sennacherib out of the area was simply some words, a rumor. Oh, the power of words. And then when Sennacherib sent a note back threatening again Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem, that their God could not save them. They were wasting their time trusting in their God. And God took that, or Hezekiah took that letter into the house of God, opened it up before the Lord, and basically said to him, have you read this? 
And so God sent one angel one night and killed 185,000 men of his army. When Sennacherib returned home, he ended up being put to death as well. Now, that's awful powerful that one angel did all of that. Think of what 12 legions of angels could have done when Jesus was hanging on the cross. And remember, the scripture tells us that he had 12 legions of angels at his beck and call. But it's a powerful victory. However, when that victory is over, we don't know how many months passed or how many weeks passed, but Hezekiah got very, very sick. And that's when Isaiah came to him. And Isaiah said, you're going to die. Get your house in order. He prayed. God said he'd give him 15 more years. Think about that. For 15 years, Hezekiah would be immortal. He couldn't die. Why? God promised him 15 years. He couldn't die till the 15 years was up. Now, this is tremendous, and news spread all the way over to Babylon about the tremendous things that had taken place. And so not only did Babylon, but some of the other countries sent presents to King Hezekiah now that he was, well, wonderful thing in this 14th year. Uh, 14th year. And during this time when the Babylonians, we don't know how long it took them to get there, when they came to bring their present, we find... Hezekiah taking them to show them all the treasures. Now, at this particular time, Babylon is yet a small country. It's not very powerful at all. They bring some gifts to him to enrich him, and he shows them everything. Isaiah, the man of God, again goes back into Hezekiah, and he asks him some questions, and we'll cover those in just a moment. But then he has to pronounce, because of his pride where his heart had been lifted up with all that had taken place because of his pride all of his children were going to be carried off into captivity where they would be eunuchs what a horrible thing and then he makes that surprising statement less surprising to me he says good is the word of the lord now normally that sounds like a spiritual statement but then he gives the reason why it was good he says there'll be peace and truth in my days now, I don't know about you, but me hearing that my children were going to be judged because of my sin, because of my bad statement, that my children were going to suffer because of it, I think I'd want to fall down in prayer again and beg God, Lord, take whatever years I've got left. I don't want them. Just don't let my children be carried off into captivity. But he doesn't do that. Good is the word of the Lord. There'll be peace and truth in my days. Well, let's notice some things about this story. And by the way, the problem that comes up, this, remember, this is a good king. Of the 19 kings over the southern kingdom, there was no king as good as Hezekiah. The scripture tells us that in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 5. And after Hezekiah, there would, no, there would be no king as good as what Hezekiah was. This is an amazing king. He had a dad that was disobedient to God, a dad who was an idolater, and he becomes the best king of the nation of Judah. Pride, though, destroys. The Bible says God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. The Bible tells us that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Hezekiah's folly is so important in the history of Israel that God actually records it three times. 
He records it in 2 Kings chapter 20. He records it in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. And then he also records it in Isaiah chapter 39. And each time the result, of course, is the same. I want you to notice, first of all, the prompting of his folly. Notice it begins in verse 12 when he says, at that time. At what time? After his healing, his miraculous healing, and the fact that the, the shadow of the sundial went back 10 degrees instead of going forward 10 degrees, he's had a military victory. He now has a physical victory. He's got 15 more years promised to him of the Lord, and it's at that time that he messes up. Man, I'm about to turn 73 if God lets me live just a couple more weeks. Seven, that's old, man. That's just old, Brother Nelson. 73 years old. I just know this. I don't want to mess up in these last years. I mean, I don't want to mess up. Uh, he doesn't go into a temple to pray to a false god. He doesn't commit immorality like King David did. Pride. Pride. Sometimes among Christians, when God gives us the privilege of being a part of his vineyard and seeing God do some amazing works and some powerful works, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll begin to think that somehow we were some really important part of that, but it was God who did it all. It's God who gives us the victories. Without him, we can do nothing, the Lord Jesus said. But it's at this time with the victories that he had had that this takes place. You understand that sometimes victories become the most dangerous spiritual time in the life of a believer. Why, even the Lord Jesus Christ, after his baptism, and you remember the Holy Spirit came down the form of a dove, and on top of that, the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What took place right after that? The temptation. Now, of course, Jesus never gave in to the pride. He never had the pride. He just simply, humbly obeyed the Holy Spirit, went out into the wilderness for the temptation, and obeyed God and quoted Scripture, used the Word of God to win in the temptations. Why did God allow the messenger of Satan to buffet Saul? You know why? Because of the abundance of revelations that were given to Saul. He could have been puffed up. And if he'd have gotten puffed up, God wouldn't have been able to use him anymore. That's what God tells Paul. He says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. And notice the attention here. It goes on to say, and the sons of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Now here's Hezekiah. He was really at this particular point he was king of only a small nation. Israel is not very big now. The northern kingdom, of course, been carried off into captivity by the Assyrians. So Judah's rather small, and they've just been devastated by having the Assyrians throughout the land. And now suddenly, he's really important. 
I mean, all the emphasis, all the news is coming out of Jerusalem and coming out of Judah, the great victory over the Assyrians that God did. Hezekiah didn't do it. The great answer to prayer to save his life, the fact that because of his prayer, the, uh, the shadow of the sundial has gone back 10 degrees. And now everybody is sending him presents and they are paying him homage. Uh, this is an amazing thing. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 32, 23, that Hezekiah was magnified in the sight of, pardon me, all the nations. You know, Jesus said, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. Pride will get you when nothing else will get you. You got to be careful. The Bible says, For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. I had a preacher friend who pastored up north of Nashville, and he used to call it the danger of rapid rise. The danger of rapid rise when suddenly the church is big. I mean, God is blessed. Souls have been saved. Great things have happened. And it's interesting. At that point, now everybody wants you to come and speak. Tell them how you did it. Well, here's how it's done. God did it. I can remember there was a pastor out in Arkansas. Not, he's not even independent Baptist anymore. Uh, but... God gave him some success in a number of ways. I remember pastoring uh, up in Manchester, Tennessee, and they were going to have a big youth conference up in Nashville, Tennessee, and they sent out flyers to preachers all over. And when I opened up my mail, and it was advertising the big youth conference they were going to have in Nashville, it said, come in here, America's greatest youth speaker. And when I read that, I thought, when did we vote on that? I didn't even know that we had people running for that thing. America's greatest youth speaker. No, he wasn't. Now, he may have been a good speaker, but that's not the reason you go hear somebody. And what a shame. And today, like I said, not even independent Baptist. Hezekiah is no longer scorned, but he's a popular king. The Bible says in Isaiah 39 and verse 2, Hezekiah was glad of them. He was glad these ambassadors came from Babylon many miles away. Remember that friendship with the world is enmity with God, James 4.4. The Babylonians were a pagan nation. And here he is honoring them and showing them everything. And I can't help but think that is one of the dangers of live streaming. Showing people everything, casting pearls before swine. And I do believe in the long run that the church is going to pay for it. I'm just putting that out there for your thought. So we have a lot of affluence that takes place here. Turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 32 just a moment. You notice verses 22 and 23. It says, Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all other, and guided them on every side. And many brought gifts unto the Lord 
to Jerusalem in presence to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was magnified in the sight of all the nations from henceforth. You go down to verse 27, and Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honor, and he made himself treasuries for silver and for gold and for precious stones and for spices and for shields and for all manner of pleasant jewels, storehouses also for the increase of corn and wine and oil. You know, now he can buy himself a big expensive RV and go traveling on the weekends. Now he can be unfaithful to worship. I mean, he's got the money now and he's got the fame. He can delegate all this stuff away. Time to enjoy life now. I think he was enjoying life when he was walking with God. Say, preacher, you stopped preaching and gone to meddling. I know, but I've been pastoring too long, over 40 years, and I can't tell you how many people think when they get old that now it's me time. No, all time of our life is to be him time. And our service, we're still responsible for our service to him. God ought to be first. I can't tell you how many people over the years have said, I know, Pastor, I, I, I haven't been able to do much, but when I retire, I've got a lot I'm going to do for the Lord. And then they retire. And they're no more faithful than what they were before when they were working so hard that they couldn't be faithful to the Lord before. And I've seen it so many times that that takes place. Now, the agents came... For four reasons. Sickness, for the sign that was done with the uh, degrees, with the sun going back 10 degrees. Support, and they also came to spy. Now, the first reason Isaiah comes and asks him about it, he says, What did they say? He never tells them. Hezekiah never responds to that question. He does tell them what they came for. Uh, but not what they said, which is just kind of interesting. In 2 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 4, you'll remember when David sent messengers to Hanan and Ammon of Ammon to show kindness. They thought that he was sending spies. And there's no doubt that these people, one of their jobs, one of their government jobs was spying. Hey, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. One of the biggest lies told. And even in this day, with the foreign government spies are all over in every country. But then there's the abandonment here in Second Chronicles chapter 32 and verse 11. In the business of the ambassadors, the Bible says, God left him to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. God sometimes leaves us to ourselves to real, realize how deficient we are in our real spiritual lives. We have to be careful. There's a dangerous warning in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's sad that after such a great victory, well, the many victories that he had, when others wouldn't stand to only end up like Elijah. You remember in 1 Chronicles chapter 18, 
Elijah standing on Mount Carmel. He's facing 850 prophets, 400 prophets of Baal, then another 450 prophets. He's facing them and he stands and he calls fire down from heaven. But the next day when he's threatened by Jezebel, he takes off running like a coward. And when God finally meets with him, he asks the Lord first of all to let him die. And then he says this, and I think this is one of the most powerful statements in the scripture about when a man realizes how much he's failed. He says, I'm no better than my father's. What a powerful statement. All those people that I preach to, I'm not any better than them. Now the truth is, that's true. Our problem is when we get to thinking we're really something when we're nothing. Well, then there's the probing of the folly. The person doing the probing is Isaiah here. You'll notice in verse 14 of 2 Kings chapter 20, the scripture says, Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? God sent his prophet. Over and over again, we find in the scripture when God's people would do wrong, God would send a preacher. He might send one of the judges of Israel in to rebuke the people. Before God would send the the pagans down upon them, he'd send one of his preachers in to preach to the people. That's God's main form of chastening. But now chastening isn't all that God does. He also does scourging. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. And his first method of chastening is God sending a preacher to preach. You remember when Saul went wrong, Samuel was sent to preach to him. When David went wrong, God sent Nathan. When Ahab got so wicked, God sent Elijah. And then later, God sent Micaiah to preach to him. With Herod, God sent John the Baptist. You see, the job of the preacher is not to make friends with everybody. The job of the preacher is to represent God by giving God's word straight and true. You know that Isaiah loved Hezekiah, but he loved God more. And he gave him the truth of what was going to take place. This was a ministry that often got the prophets in trouble. Hey, John the Baptist lost his head with that part of the ministry. But you remember the apostle Paul told Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. We end up having such wishy-washy churches today because the preachers are scared to death to get up and just proclaim the truth. Listen, these men were talking to the king who had the power to put them to death with just a word. And sometimes that took place with prophets. But they brought the message faithfully. They brought it truthfully. That ought to be what God's people want to hear, but we want to hear it when the other guy fails and the word's directed at him. We don't want to hear it when the word's directed to us. In other words, we're like everybody else that's gone on before us. 
but the man who can take it. You see, that's one of the marks of David. Saul didn't take it. When Saul was confronted by Samuel, you remember he made excuses. He made excuses. He blamed the people. First, he even denied it. He said, I've obeyed the Lord when he hadn't obeyed the Lord, and God had made that clear. When David was rebuked by the prophet, he said, I have sinned. He agreed with God. And he said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and committed this wickedness in thy sight. That's how you get right with God. You get right with God by agreeing with God about the wickedness of our sin. Notice the particulars here. He asked us three questions, as I said. What did they say? They probably talked of an alliance, perhaps. We don't know. But Hezekiah does not answer that part of the question. Perhaps he had already learned something about making deals with the wrong people, like he had made with the Pharaoh down in Egypt, who never did come to his rescue, and like he tried to make with Sennacherib when Sennacherib first came in, and he tried to buy him off. That didn't work, so he didn't make that deal. What is their state? Oh, they come from a far country. A far country, that makes it okay. His honor had spread. And Hezekiah liked answering that question. But then there's a penalty that comes along. You look at verse 16. Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Wow, that's what Hezekiah, that's what Isaiah said when he brought him the news that he was going to die. Hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. He says, Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. So this penalty that's going to take place because his heart was lifted up in pride, who is it coming from? It's not coming from Isaiah. It's coming from the Lord. This is God's word. This is God's judgment on the best king that he had in the southern kingdom. But I thought God was a God of love. He is. And as a God of love, he doesn't let us get away with things. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Amazing to me. You know, you're a hard man, you're a hard preacher, if you preach on, the, on sin and judgment among God's people. But he loves his people, and as a God of love, he chastens us when we need it. And Hezekiah needs it. Now, the thing you learn about the scourging, scourging itself doesn't sound like it's something very pleasant. Scourging is severe, and God does that. When he talks about chastening in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, he says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Often, when a prophet or a preacher brings a message like that, people want to attack the messenger by claiming it's just from a man. But this is coming from God. Notice the specifics of the penalty. First of all, the wealth that the spies saw would be taken. Hey, Hezekiah, all that wealth you've got. 
And the reason he had the wealth was God let him live. And God moved the shadow back 10 degrees. All that wealth you showed them, they're going to come back and take it. God can pass it around however he wants. We think, well, look at all I did to make this stuff. No, no, God made it. God blessed you. And that gets fulfilled, of course, when Nebuchadnezzar attacks Jerusalem and takes it. At this point, Judah was strong at this point right here because of what God had done. At this point, Babylon was still very weak. There should be nothing to fear, it would seem. But things don't end today. You've got to understand, there is tomorrow. It wasn't that far back that America was the leader in the world. We're not considered that so much today. With the things that have taken place in the last few years, we've become more of a joke. And that's sad. The things that have taken place are shameful. So at this point, Surely no one could have thought that the roles would be reversed in just a few short years. Not too long ago, the U.S. thought to be the strongest nation on earth. And you remember, if we saw that little sign made in China, those things were normally jokes because they didn't have much. And look how it was made with super cheap labor and wasn't the best stuff that was out there. Matter of fact, there was a time when the pride of the American worker was that Where did that go? Made in America today? Of course, I don't know what's made in America today. Toyota's made in America. Hyundai's made in America. I mean, what what is buying American? What does that mean? Does that mean, well, I don't want to get into that. I'll really get to meddling here before I'm done. So, the place... Of his sons would also change. Not only would the place of his riches change, but the place of his sons would change. They're going to be carried off. Our sin often affects others. I want you to get this. You say, well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, all right, my mom and dad were drunkards. Don't you think that affected me? It did. Uh, My mom and dad got divorced when I was a senior in high school. Don't you think that affected my brothers, my brother and my sisters? Well, of course it did. Understand that our lives, the decision that we make, decisions we make affect other people. As a matter of fact, there were some kings that did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, that the only reason God didn't take them out was because God remembered David. David's testimony ended up being a blessing to great-great-grandsons. See, what you are, adults, get this. Older folks, get this. Your testimony matters right now today. You may have raised your kids already. Your grandkids already may be grown and making decisions. Hey, how you finish will affect them. Now's not the time to back off. Now's this time to stay faithful to the Lord. Our actions always affect others. Although Hezekiah will not see it, he knows it's going to happen because he has experienced God fulfilling his word over and over again. Now, his perception of the penalty is very interesting here because you get to verse 19. Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. 
And he says, is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? Good is the word of the Lord. Is that really a good statement? I, I believe, yeah, good is God's word. I love my Bible. Thank God for the Bible. Yeah, but he's not talking about the Bible here. He's talking about not just the judgment. He's comparing the judgment to the fact he gets peace and truth in his old age. You're going to lose your kids. Your kids are going to be carried off. They're going to suffer. Why doesn't he pray? Every time I read this, I, I wish I could talk to Hezekiah and say, Hezekiah, why didn't you get down on your knees and start praying like you prayed when Isaiah said you were going to die? Why didn't you do something for your children here? I'd rather have peace and truth in my days. If I was questioning anybody's love, I'd be questioning his love right here. I believe he gives us here a statement of selfishness that was born out of a pride of riches. Now I've got everything. I can enjoy the remainder of my life. Now, he's got something you and I don't have. He's got knowledge of what's going to happen to his children. You don't. You don't know what's going to happen to your children. But he knew. And you would have thought that would have led him to pray. He doesn't do it. When David sinned and he learned the effect of his sin upon his son, he fasted and prayed. Remember when the pronouncement was made that that son that you were going to have through Bathsheba, that son's going to die. David went to prayer and fasting. Not Hezekiah. Man, I don't get this. Truly, we can commend him for not complaining, but we condemn him for selfishness. I'd have liked to hear Hezekiah say, my fault. But we don't have that. Isn't it good that there'll be peace and truth in my days? At that price? At that price? Really? The performance of the penalty, notice verses 20 and 21. The rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made a pool and a conduit brought water into the city. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Now, let me pat him on the back after saying all the things I've just said about him. He didn't turn around and discuss and just get bitter on God. He continued to serve the people. He was still a good king. He's not a bad king. Anybody here not make any mistakes in the last 10 years? In attitude, words, or action? Anybody here, last 10 years, you've been perfect. You've been everything you ought to be in every part of your life. No, I think if the Lord was writing us into the book, we'd probably be embarrassed by some of the things he'd put into it. But God gave details at the beginning, in the middle of his reign, then a brief summary. Most of his life and what he did is not recorded. Apart from these few things, he still looked out after the people of Jerusalem. And we don't get a whole lot of detail about those last 15 years. They're very unimportant compared to his first 14 years when he was small. You remember what God said about, or Samuel said about uh, 
about Saul. When you were little in your own eyes, I made you king. When you were little in your own eyes. But you're puffed up. By the way, you'll notice his life from this point on is kind of made up of the mundane. Now, that's not bad in itself because at least he's using it to count for something. But do you realize that most of our lives are made up of just the day-to-day duty as every day requires? There are things to be done. Hey, you go to work again tomorrow and you go to work again the next day and you do a lot of the same things you've done over and over again. That's life. And that is living. There's nothing wrong with that. We think we got to have a party and be on the beach and be able to just do anything we want all the time. No, that's not life. That's not how it goes. And yet we, I think we've been spoiled by the highlight reel. I personally, I could sit down and watch a baseball game and enjoy it. I could enjoy it in the seventh inning as much as I did in in the third inning. Because every batter, every pitch is a move in strategy. Every sign that the, that the third base coach gives or that is given to the catcher or the catcher gives to the pitcher, all of that is part of the strategy of the game. It's a great game. But the highlight reel has ruined a generation of Americans. We can't appreciate the finer points of that. I want to see the high... Re- Listen... I don't have to watch three hours of baseball. Just show me all the home runs and the neat catches and the close plays. And in 60 seconds, I have seen every important thing in the game. And the truth is, no, you haven't. You haven't seen every important thing in the game. But we like it. We like to see the winners of the golf tournaments. Well, some of us do. But think about it for just a moment. Let's just go ahead and take Tiger Woods, no matter what you think of his character or anything like that. Do you, do you have any idea how many times Tiger Woods hit a golf ball that never went on a scorecard? How many thousands of times he hit golf balls that no one ever paid attention to, no one ever marked down, no record was ever kept so that he could play in the tournaments that he played in? You take those baseball players out there. How many times did they just hit balls that were pitched to them over and over again, played catch, threw the ball, did things that nobody else saw, no camera was on them, no records, no statistics were made so that they could one day be an all-star or be in the Hall of Fame or be a star player. Because the truth is it's doing those mundane things that make you available so you can do the great things. That's a good man. This is a good man. Here God simply summarizes his life. His conquering, all of his might, his conduct, his goodness, the conduit that he made for the city, the conclusion of his life, the people honored him. So he's honored in death. Good king. And he set the stage for the worst rule, the worst king that Judah ever had. Where his first 14 years were all about God, unfortunately, even though still true to the Lord, his last 15 years was more about himself. And that's a shame. 
to enjoy those last 15 years, truth and quietness in my day. Boy, he's been such a good king, such an outstanding king. He has seen some great things happen. I hate to see it end like this for him. But we go to chapter 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign and reigned 15 and 5 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. And he reared up altars for Baal and made a grove as did Ahab, king of Israel, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And then he talks about the other things that he did, even having his sons pass through the idolater's fire to Balak. Young people, young adults, you got Christian parents? They've had a name for loving the Lord Jesus Christ. What are you going to do with that name? The truth is, you will make your own reputation. You'll, you'll get by for a while on the good reputation of your parents. But after a while, your actions, I mean, if people end up saying, boy, they sure weren't anything like their mom and dad, were they? Their mom and dad were such sweet Christians. They're not anything like that. See, what people end up thinking of you will be on your head. Your parents get you off to a good start. Do something with it. Make your life count for God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the study and the life of Hezekiah, the things you've recorded for us. May those things serve as a warning to each of us, our impact upon those that come after us, our responsibility to always recognize our God as being the one who is the source of all good, that we get allowed to do because of your might and your power. And God, where pride lifts us up, and you have to resist us because of it, I pray, dear God, we'd be quick to get right with you. Have your way in our lives tonight, I pray in Jesus' name.